Hello and welcome to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer, a series featuring conversations with experts to share recent market developments, key insights and strategic inputs from around the globe. What's more important than family? Many of you, I'm sure, would say nothing. It's at the heart of what so many of us do. It can drive your actions, your desire for success, your motivation to build a legacy that matters. So you would think then that for wealthy families, the ability to provide security for the next generation would mean smooth sailing and harmony. But as we know all too well, that's not always the case. It seems wealth and more specifically the transfer of wealth to the next generation can be the source of conflict in families if it's not handled correctly. Not only that, but families are facing even more complexity than ever before, as they grow more global, more intergenerational, and more aware of the changing landscape that we find ourselves in. These topics, you'll be glad to hear, are covered in depth by Julius Baer's newly launched Family Barometer, now back for 2023 in collaboration with PwC Switzerland. And as we publish the report, I'm joined in studio for the Beyond Markets podcast with Scott Duncan, Wealth Planner in the International Advisory Team. Scott, thank you so much for coming in to talk to us today. Thank you. Thanks. It's uh, very nice to be here. So first, could you tell me about what your role entails? Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a wealth planner based in, in Geneva in Switzerland. I focus primarily on the United Kingdom market. I've been advising wealthy families and, uh, and individuals for 20 years now, actually. And nine of those I've been with Julius Baer. And so on this podcast in the past, we've spoken a lot about the great wealth transfer that's happening in coming years. But from your perspective, can you tell me a little about that? The Great Wealth Transfer um, refers to a, a huge intergenerational uh, wealth transfer from baby boomers, so that's uh, uh, people who were born in, uh, in the mid-40s through to the, the mid-60s. And that wealth transfer, that they, you know, the wealth that they've gathered, is going to be transferred to Generation X and the millennials as well. So an analogy I like to use to describe this wealth transfer is imagine a tree at the top high on the side of a valley. And this tree represents the family well. And that tree has grown because it's had the right environment to thrive. It's been well looked after. A lot of care and attention has gone into that tree. Now, when we think of this wealth transfer, it's the same as thinking of moving that tree from one side of the valley to the other. And we need to think of the land on the other side of the valley. Does it have the right ecosystem to allow that tree to continue to, to grow and to thrive? And also we need to build a bridge between those two sides of the valley. And that bridge represents the transition from one generation to another. And a lot of thought needs to go into that bridge. Will it be a, a rickety rope bridge that risks breaking as the tree makes its journey from one side of the valley to the other? Or will it be something far more robust and much more secure like the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco? Okay, and as I was saying before, the, the Julius Baer Family Barometer has been launched for 2023 and it surveys those who are closest to high net worth families and their advisors. So when it comes to topics beyond investments, the survey found this year that family wealth structure topics are front of mind. And there's also a global aspect that features quite prominently this year. With wealthy families spread across the world, this, of course, makes things much more complex. So, Scott, in your experience, what unique considerations or complexities can arise when someone is transferring wealth internationally within families and how can they address these challenges? Succession laws vary from country to country, which makes cross-border estates a, a kaleidoscope of complexity. And there's a lot to consider here. You need to think about the location of the assets, the residence of the heirs, and what legal documents are there to govern their succession from one family member to the other family member. 
And are they valid? Are there any conflicts of laws? Which jurisdiction will take authority over the succession of that estate? What taxes are there to pay and by whom? And, and finally, I think, where is the deceased? Where did they pass away? Now, on top of that sort of cold uh, legal complexity, you then also have the complexities of the family dynamics as well. The family dynamics and the tensions that will inevitably run high when a key figurehead of the family has passed away. And that key figurehead of the family might be the glue of the family as well. Okay, When they pass away, there is then going to be a lot of tension, a lot of uncertainty, and that's actually when um, problems can, can arise. And if we take as an example of international complexity, okay, we take the, the example of uh, Jean-Philippe Smat, uh, who is better known by his stage name of Johnny Halliday. Okay? And he was the French rock and roll singer. And he passed away at age 74 in 2017. And he was a national hero in France. And when his uh, funeral procession went through the streets of Paris, a million people came out to pay their final respect. Now, Johnny Halliday had uh, a blended family. He had two biological children, Laura and David. And he was married to his fourth wife, Letitia, and they had two adopted children. They lived in Los Angeles. Now, shortly after uh, Johnny Halliday's death, it transpired that he, he had drafted a will under, under Californian law, and he wanted his uh, wife and two adopted children to be the, the, the main heirs of, of his estate. However, he effectively disinherited his two biological children, and they uh, contested his will, because under French succession laws, you can't do that. In, in the United States, you can. you can. You have what we call testamentary freedom. So you can leave the assets to whoever you choose to leave those assets to. But because of his French nationality and strong connections to France, there was an argument held by his biological children that he could not disinherit them, that they had an entitled share to his estate. And unfortunately, what that means is that when he passed away, it becomes public. When there's this uh, contesting of an estate, it became public. It was an emotional time for that family, I'm sure. And his biological daughter, Laura, um, wrote an open letter, which she also released to the media, an open letter to her father, in which she says, you know, that she was very hurt by this, by, by being left out and she said, you didn't even leave me a record sleeve of, of Laura. And Laura is one of the songs that he'd written and, and he dedicated to her. So that case was settled uh, eventually, but it was a public matter, unfortunately, and a, and a lot of emotional turmoil, I'm sure. How can families address these challenges? You know, I mean, as, as we become more globally mobile and internationally mobile, when it comes to cross-border estates, I think we have to accept that it's a really complex area. And the specialist device is, is, is needed. But often I think there's a lot of value in having a, a central coordinator. Okay, so ideally someone who not only ex understands exactly what the global su succession objectives are, okay, what taxes are due, okay, and by whom, and where the assets are located. But I think that that, that central coordination role can really help to ensure that the succession of the estate and the whole process is as smooth as possible. And something we see with clients who maybe have structures that are trying to achieve a certain objective with their succession plan is that they might actually invite litigation lawyers to come and critique it, okay, to have a look to stress test that structure, their plan as well, and see where there are potential flaws 
where it could be prone to to attack. Okay. And so what are some signs then that a family might be at risk of um, wealth-related conflicts and how can they proactively address them? Do you know of any tools or strategies that can uh, minimise these kind of conflicts? Yeah, I mean, I think a, a lot of it will depend on the family dynamics and, and relationships within the family, okay? And I think the key to avoiding conflict lies in open and transparent communication. So holding regular family meetings to discuss their estate plans and intentions openly and by involving all the family members in those discussions about the wealth transfer, it can usually address those concerns and clarify the intentions and just make sure that everyone understands that plan. And this can usually be a, a little bit easier when it's, you know, the first generation to the second generation. And we will have heard, you know, a rather cliched saying of where shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. And that's the idea that, statistically speaking, family wealth doesn't last for more than three generations. Okay. And that can be for a number of reasons. It can be taxes, inflation, but also really importantly is family conflict as well. Okay. So... Family conflict can be a real erosion potential for wealth. When we enter into that third generation of a family, they've moved on from the original beginnings. You know, they might not be in the same town anymore. They might be in multiple jurisdictions. They might not even know each other. But it doesn't always have to be the way that a family business or or the family wealth will be eroded after three generations. If we take the the example of... uh, Hoshi uh, Ryokan, which is a hotel in Japan that's been owned and run by the same family for 1,300 years. We can learn lessons from those successful families that have continued for three generations. And one common way, as we enter into that longer period of when the family gets bigger, maybe a little bit more disconnected as well, and with these family meetings is to have actually family gatherings as well. Um, so some will organize these really large family events every couple of years, and they'll re- invite all the descendants from the original founder. And I think this allows the next generation to become a coherent group again, who will know each other as individuals, and they like each other, they'll spend time together. You know, in these family gatherings, there'll be sort of team building exercises, they'll make music, they'll dance, and they'll just get to know each other. That facilitates dialogue within the family, so they can talk about it, it has a create the environment of having these uh, the ability to have discussions and the processes in place to if you know we're not we're not all in Disney World okay and there will be family uh, conflicts but to give that the environment in which to be able to air those grievances and to have uh, sort of conflict resolution policies within the family okay so communication seems to be one of the real key aspects to keep in mind there and then in your experience, how can the heads of a family um, kickstart this conversation about passing on family wealth, especially if it's not really an, an often spoken about topic in that family? It, it can be really hard. It's an emotive subject. And, you know, sitting down with someone and talking about their demise, you don't want to sort of be feeling like you're coming across as a sort of, uh, you know, a, a grave robber. You know, you want to, to have these uh open discussions but it can be difficult to approach that subject but you know from from a previous uh, podcast it was mentioned that 70 percent of high net worth and ultra high net worth individuals don't have a succession plan but i can guarantee you it is on their mind they will be aware of the responsibility and going back to my analogy of you know how you move this tree from one to the other they know it's there what can be difficult is you know where do i start 
you know, and how do I build that bridge? And what should the bridge look like? And who should I involve in having that bridge to be built? I think, you know, it, it can be that elephant in the room, but if it doesn't get talked about, it's not going to go away as an issue. And I think, you know, family members, if, if they need to have those discussions and facilitate it, is to try and work collectively together. So by asking the questions of what matters to you, you know, how can I be part of this journey? How can, how can we work together as a family so that at the end of the day, we all feel engaged, we all adhere to the, to the end goal, and how can we work together to achieve those objectives? Okay, and in your experience, what then are some common misconceptions or, or myths surrounding wealth transfers uh, within families? And how can uh, dispelling these misconceptions benefit high net worth individuals? From my, my background in the UK, uh, I've, I've often had clients, when you, when you talk about their succession plan, is this notion, well, doesn't it all just go to my spouse or my, or my partner? Doesn't it all just go to them? And the answer is, no, if you don't do something, if you don't take action, that is not necessarily a guarantee that it is going to go to who you want it to go to. And in the UK, we have this concept of, uh, of, of dying intestate. So, which is sort of uh, uh, the UK's version of forced heirship. It doesn't mean that if someone dies without a will, okay, it doesn't mean that it's all going to go to the surviving spouse. It might go to children. Or if you don't have children, maybe not even spouse, who's it going to go to then? You know, and in, in the UK, ultimately, if no other surviving heirs can be found, it goes to ultimately to the crime. There's a misconception that it's it's all going to go to my spouse. Yes, it will if you have a document in place to facilitate that. But at the same time, it can also, even if you do have a will, it's not a guarantee that it is actually going to go that way. You know, as we saw in the Johnny Halliday case, there, there's nothing to stop people from attacking your succession plan. Uh, so, Scott, our uh, Family Barometer 2023 also found that beyond investing, philanthropy um, retained its place as the fifth most discussed topic among wealthy families. So how does philanthropy and charitable giving play a role in this kind of wealth transfer and what benefits can it bring to uh, both the family and the community? I think having a, a well-structured philanthropic purpose within the family can be really rewarding. I mean, obviously, for the family and, and the community as well. I think the first benefit, if you like, is that it really provides a framework for the family to explore their values. What are their values and what is their mission as well? And I think philanthropy can be an opportunity to, um, for that family to find their common ground and a shared purpose as well. Giving together as a family can really unite across generations. It doesn't matter about the geographic locations and life circumstances. And I think another area where we can see philanthropy of, of being a real benefit to families are those that might have a family business. The chances are that you know, the descendants within a family, not all of them are going to have the skill set or the interest or motivation to be involved in that family business. But the philanthropic activities of the family can be a really useful tool of engagement for the family to engage together and to avoid feeling marginalized from the family. Okay, And we've seen... Philanthropy being used as a almost as an incubator as well for, for younger generations of the family. So within the philanthropic umbrella, they can be, be given responsibility of investing funds, um, of budgeting, of evaluating projects, identifying worthy causes, project management, and accountability as well. And these, these are skills that can be honed and developed 
within the relatively forgiving environment of, of, of the philanthropic missions of, of, of the family. And that those skills can then also be transferred into the family business if the younger generation then want to move in that direction. Okay, and can you provide then some insights into uh, the emotional aspects of wealth transfer and how families can navigate during the process? So early on in my career, I had a, a meeting with an entrepreneur and he'd, he'd done really well. He'd sold the business and was now sitting on a lot of cash. He was married and had a young family. Uh, his children were very young, still, you know, going to primary school. And he knew that he had to do something, okay? He didn't want his children to become almost corrupted, if you like, should something happen to him and should they come into a significant sum of money at too young and early age. And he really bought into this notion that Warren Buffett, um, is one of my favorite quotes from him, and he says, I want my children to have enough so they can do whatever they want to do, but not so much that they can just do nothing at all. And I think he, he knew that, okay, and he was beginning his journey and we had this meeting to, to talk about trusts and the, the advantages and disadvantages. You could tell there was just something not sitting right, that he had an uncomfortable feeling. But when he was pressed on it, he said, I just don't want to give up the control. He'd built this sum of money. He enjoyed the power it gave, he enjoyed the respect it, it gave him in the community as well. And the notion of giving that up, giving up that control and handing it over to a third party and almost bringing in a third party into their family affairs just wasn't really something that was sitting well with him. But I think the most important thing that he had done was that he had started on his journey. He had started to give consideration of how to transfer this wealth in a manner that he wanted it to be transferred to his family. And Scott, can you share any cautionary tales then or examples of families that might have faced uh, challenges or conflicts uh, due to inadequate wealth planning and what lessons can we learn from from those experiences? One of my favourite cautionary tales, um, which has quite an extreme outcome, is uh, the case of a gentleman called uh, William Jennings, who died in uh, 1798. And Mr. Jennings was, at the time of his death, thought to be the, the richest commoner in all of England. Um, so he was, a, he was a very wealthy man, had made the money more or less by himself. Uh, he was also known as William the Miser. And he had gone to his solicitor to draft a will, but he had forgotten his spectacles for that meeting. It was apparently read out to him, the, the contents of the will. And he said, well, look, I'm not going to sign it now. I want to go home and, and read it. And then, unfortunately, he went home and he was found dead at home. And they found the will folded up in his, in his coat pocket and it was unsigned. So what that meant was that he didn't have a valid will. And when I talked earlier about these rules of intestacy... And back then, the rules of intestacy were even more complex. The identified heir... Um, was thought to actually be an illegitimate child and was therefore not entitled to, um, to receive an inheritance. So this then caused a significant amount of time trying to find the right heir and also trying to protect the estate from spurious claims, from people who said, oh, I'm called Jennings as well, so therefore I must be related, I'm entitled to, to some of this, uh, some of this uh, gentleman's estate. Now, fast forward almost 120 years later, by 1915, there was no money left in the estate. There was nothing worth 
fighting over. And the duration of the case and the large amounts of money that was used to pay for legal action had effectively drained the estate of its entire funds. Okay, and finally, uh, Scott, can you offer some wealth insights for listeners? So some practical tips or advice for those interested in, in starting their wealth transfer journey or improving their existing plans to ensure that family unity? Yeah, I think the key thing is to ask yourself, what do you want? What, what keeps you awake at night? And really by identifying that, solutions can be found, okay? And the planning during one's lifetime, the succession of assets, really it has to start somewhere. And I think the best thing is actually just to start, you know, it, have those conversations with the family if that's possible. If, if that's not possible or not comfortable, then trusted advisors. Start talking about it and start sharing what the worries are, what the concerns are, what the challenges are. And, you know, with, with many things, it's not going to be solved overnight. You know, it's not going to be a, no one solution is going to be a magical panacea. But I think by starting that journey and that, that wealth transfer, you know, we can start to look at, going back to the analogy, we can start looking at the bridge and how is it going to look and who's going to help to build it. And that bridge, once it's built, it doesn't need to stay there either. You know, it can, uh, it can be changed, it can be modified. And I think, you know, my key message is to take action. And if one isn't there, if one a succession plan is already there, then, then keep reviewing it and revisit it regularly. And that's a brilliant piece of advice to, to end on. So thank you so much, Scott. That brings us to the end of our podcast. Uh, thank you so much for joining us in studio today. Well, thank you for having me. And to our listeners at home, thank you so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Beyond Markets podcast by Julius Baer. I've been your host, Grace Treston, and you can subscribe to the Beyond Markets podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you like to listen. You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. To learn more about Julius Baer, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at www.juliusbaer.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliusbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further important legal information.